tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Today, when I get to the letter section, I may have one of my most obscure uh, disquisitions ever. I mean, really obscure. Wait till you hear it. (laughs) But that said, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel. Defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, secretly seeking the destruction of souls. In the name of the... Oh, by the way, Lord, we got you on the line. Um, Please remember Tim Haney's family and and, uh, especially his father-in-law. Rest in peace, David Clausen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Once again, my, my, uh, no, 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 I've got it off the coffee table. It's in my, I'm using a computer, don't tell anyone. Here, I got it, I got it. My computer's decided to store things in odd places. This is a reading that makes everybody crazy. Just nuts. Um, Brothers and sisters, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife. This just makes people crazy in our day and age. What do you mean? The husband is the the head of the wife. Well, we don't understand headship. We think of headship as a, a position of control. Whereas it is a position of service. I remember Cardinal George, uh, may he rest in peace. Um, Cardinal George said, uh, he was being asked a question by um, um, uh, uh, some reporter. Uh, well, as head of the di- as leader of the diocese, shouldn't you do this? Uh, uh, and he said, he looked at him and said, I'm not the leader of the diocese. I'm the head of the diocese. What? Isn't it the same thing? No, it's not. Headship is a position of service. When I'm hungry, let me tell you, my stomach is the leader of uh, my, my, my being, my body. And it's the job of the head to get what the stomach needs. 
It's a position of service, and that that's the way St. Paul describes it. Now, you got to... Um, um, uh, um, you... you you got to understand the ancient world. No one would have argued with uh, uh, this idea of, of a woman submitting to a husband. But elsewhere, St. Paul talks about as to the Lord, not as to a property owner, not as to a slave driver. He's qualifying this. And think about it. St. Paul is the first person, at least as far as I can tell, uh, who... Um, says um, a woman, a man's body is the property of his wife. Let me find that for you. A man's body. Uh, think about that. He's the first person uh, to say that. That that would have been, even when he said, husbands love your wives, um, uh, people would have said, why? In the ancient Greco-Roman world, I mean, there was love, but it wasn't required uh, Marriage was a kind of political alliance between families, and the woman, uh, um, a woman was sort of a, a kitchen appliance that could have children. I don't mean to be insulting, but that's really the way they looked at it. In fact, is uh, uh, Mike Aquilina's book? Let's see what what's the title of the book. He's, it's changed. It used to be uh, the Seven Revolutions. I got it right here. Believe it or not, let me let me find that. It's now called. Um, Oh, gosh, it is now called How Christianity Saved Civilization. And one of the things is uh, the respect in which it held women, that women were not treated like property by Christians. Uh, and, you know, in this revisionist age that's about as deep as a puddle, people don't really study Scripture. So they think that, that it, Paul is just reinforcing uh, or, or insisting on... on, on the denigration of women, not at all, quite the opposite. Uh, um, <clears throat> let me let me pull that up for you, where St. Paul says that. Uh, let's see here. This is 1 Corinthians 7, 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. This is 1 Corinthians 7, 4. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. St. Paul, as far as I know, is the first person... On planet Earth to say that, that that's how he begins this passage, uh, as we see today, uh, he, be subordinate to one another. And it doesn't the text is as far as I can tell, it doesn't say wives, wives should be subordinate to their husbands. It says literally, let me let me find it. Let me find it. I just had it here. Um, literally, what the text says in Ephesians 521 is being submitted to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, out of respect for Christ, the women to their own husbands as to the Lord. And then it goes on. Uh, 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 and the man, it talks about the man's responsibility. He doesn't say be submitted. A woman should be submitted to her husband, but he says be submitted to one another. And then he says the wives as to the Lord. That's a qualifier that that Paul is counting on a man imitating Christ in his relationship to his wife. And he goes on, you know, as in the way as the church is subordinate to Christ, in the way that the church is subordinate to Christ. In the ancient world, men and women were were, were they might as well, maybe still, but they might as well have been two different species. 
Seriously. Um, women in, in the Greek world, if they had enough money, never left the house. And listen up. A Greek woman never left the house. They had servants to do the shopping, the marketing. She stayed in the women's quarters and perhaps a little outside garden, that an enclosed garden. That was her life. And even if she could go out, she wouldn't go out alone, and she was covered head to toe. Uh, Christianity comes along and says, no, there's a mutuality between this, uh, between between the genders. So he goes on, husbands, love your wives, to which a Greek would have said, Why? Even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle. So husbands should also love their wives as their own body. Contrast that as another religion that I don't want to mention, lest I offend people. God knows I would never want to offend anyone that says, if you suspect a woman of, of, unfa of rebellion, put her in the sleeping quarters and beat her. And if she, uh, uh, if she repents, take her back because God is merciful. That's not Christianity. Believe me, it's not. Husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hates his own flesh, but rather nourishes it and cherishes it. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. So Paul is saying to the Ephesians, you can't lord it over your wife because you're the head of the family. Your job is to be a servant to your wife and, by extension, I suppose, to your children. Um, I remember preaching about this to a deacon's meeting, and I'll never forget it. I said, he handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water in the world. I said, deacons, when is the last time you drew a bubble bath for your wife? And a, a couple came up afterwards, and uh, they were clearly in love. They were not young, but they were clearly in love. And she said, he treats me like a flower. And she didn't mean that, that he was um, dismissive of her or thought her weak, but that she was so precious and beautiful in his eyes. That's what St. Paul is saying. Husbands, the wife is not your servant. You're the servant of your wife. And for the people who don't understand the culture, don't understand the situation, and don't understand the text. They just rail about this. Uh, and then it goes, in any case, each of you should love his wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. Now, that's kind of, that's kind of an interesting afterthought. What would have happened if your father had arranged for your marriage to a friend of yours who was a drunken bum and who didn't really care about you and, you know, spent all of his time outside discussing philosophy with that Socrates fellow, um, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought very highly of him. Uh, but St. Paul is saying it is the duty of a wife. Now you listen up, ladies. It is the duty of, of your wife, of the wife to, now the word literally here is to fear, but to reverence. It doesn't mean it says in fear the Lord, uh, to fear the Lord. That that's the sense of it. But what he's saying is, reverence your husband. Uh, this famous story talking about Socrates, his wife Xanthippe was noted to be one of the <laughs> one of the toughest women in Athens, and she was not nice to Socrates. Uh, she was definitely the the alpha in that couple. And Socrates has said, by all means, marry. 
if you have a good marriage, you'll be happy. If you don't, you'll be a philosopher. <laughs> so that I'm quoting Socrates. So uh, that, that uh, um, he goes on, each one of you should love his wife sacrificially. It's agape as himself. And then it says, so that she may respect or she may fear him. You got to understand that word respect, which is literally in Greek fear in the context of the husband loving the wife. This is all about the responsibility of the man. Husband, don't expect. I don't know why they don't translate it that way. Uh, in any case, each of you should love his wife as himself so that the wife might fear her husband, might honor, might reverence her husband. This is the responsibility of a man, and he shouldn't expect his wife to, to reverence him if he is not <laughs> reverenceable. Uh, this is a, a beautiful passage, and it would have struck the, Greek, the Greek-speaking hearers of it as, what? you got to be kidding, Paul. And, well, let's move on to the gospel. Um, <clears throat> what is the kingdom of God like? To what can I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in his garden. Now, um, let's see here. That was, uh, I think on Sunday, there was a, an interesting, <laughs> the voice of mine is asking, what kind of mustard? Is it Dijon? No, I don't think so. I think it's it's that yellow stuff that you get in Jewish delis. Let's see here. Um, where was I? Um, so, um, on Sunday, uh, we read, um, let's see here. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't Sunday. Maybe it was Saturday. There was a, I, I just, I should have, I should have pulled that up ahead of time because there was a, a passage which really talked about the kingdom of God. Um, so, well, let's get back to today. I, I've digressed. But this idea of the kingdom of God, uh, you know, we always think of it just as heaven when you die, but it's, I'm always telling you the word basilia really means the the um, um, the royal nature of God, and so uh, how's this? Let's translate it that way. So, what is God's royal nature like? To what can I compare? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in his garden. It's very tiny. You might you might not think anything of it. But it's very powerful because inside that mustard seed is an entire bush that's as large as a tree. When it's fully gone, it became a large bush. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. There is a, uh, uh, in the ancient world, great kings were, and great empires were portrayed as a great tree. And the little client kingdoms were little birds perched on the branches because the king was like a great tree that protected the birds. And also birds apparently love mustard seeds. And you got a big, huge mustard bush, which is just this side of a tree and you beat it and all the birds fly out. So uh, to what will I compare God's royal nature? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed in three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch of dough was leaven. Now, why three? Because three is in Hebrew, it means for sure. If if you do something three times, you mean it. If a person's been dead for three days, they're really dead. You sit in your bench in the synagogue three days in a week, it's your bench, that kind of thing. So, third, third times the charm, that sort of thing. Well, she mixes it into what really is not royal, and then the dough becomes. It expands. It gets bigger. You you can't see 
the, the yeast, but it, 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 it makes a huge loaf. So that's what he's talking about, that the kingdom of God is not immediately apparent. The kingdom of God is about small things. And the royal nature of God isn't the kind of step aside, I take large steps. That's a quote from Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. It is, that isn't royalty. Real royalty is smallness. Real royalty is found in, in the little things. I always say there were, there were two groups of people who recognized Jesus in the manger. Shepherds who aren't that bright. No offense to any shepherds listening. Now you've got to be bright. You've got to be a scientist. But back then, shepherds weren't that bright. The simple recognized him. And the magi, the very wise. They're properly called the wise men. The very wise and the very simple could recognize divinity and true royalty in the child in the manger. This little poor baby in its mother's arms in sort of a, a little basement garage that's probably what the, the, the manger was, the crib, uh, you know, the stable. You know, the wise men went to, to Jerusalem. There was a prophecy that there was going to be a great king from among the Jews. They knew right where to go, the palace in Jerusalem. They looked at Herod, who had all the trappings of royalty, and they realized he's not a king. He was just a political boss who got appointed to this job. He's not a king. There's nothing royal about him. But they saw a royal nature. They saw the kingliness of God in the baby in Mary's arms, in, 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 in the stable. So the kingdom of God may not look very kingly by human definition, but if you have the wisdom of God, you can see what true royalty is. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with letters, and one of the letters will I'll get carried away with it. 888 We will open the phones. Today we'd like to thank Mario, who's listening in New Jersey, for donating his Buick. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. I suppose for what we're about to do, that's appropriate music. Well, let us go now to letters. All right. I got, um, let's see here. I got, oh, this is a very interesting letter from Anna that I, I want to share. Um, I was talking to people about during the whole, you know, and oh, don't forget, we are, uh, I, I, I mentioned a number of times, but we are having that wonderful novena uh, for the Holy Souls beginning November 2nd. Uh, so go to the website and look it up. But I mentioned that it, I think it's a very wonderful thing to pray for priests who, um, who you have uh, known, who have been a blessing to you, and even the ones who haven't been such a blessing, um, because they have no one to pray for them. Well, a friend of mine, Anna, uh, uh, who has no children, and, and though she and her husband very much wanted children, she said, don't ask people to pray for, for childless couples. They also need prayers in having the children to pray for them. I made the point, priests have no children to pray for them. And pray for the repose of their souls. Um, 
It's a wonderful, wonderful song in Hebrew uh, that or in, in Yiddish. It's it, mein Son, mein lieber Kaddish. That it calls it my son, my my dear Kaddish, my dear prayer for the dead. In other words, the job of the firstborn son is to pray for the the dead, and that's why they call him my 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 dear son, my requiem. So, uh, you know that that. Uh, Pray for people who have no children. Uh, I think that's a beautiful thing that Anna mentioned. And because, uh, you know, I, I always say everyone is designed for fatherhood and motherhood, myself included. I have no children, but I have many spiritual children. And everyone is called at least to spiritual fatherhood or motherhood, to do one's best uh, to help the next generation to find the faith. And that generation that finds the faith through them needs to pray for them. So pray for pray for your priests, pray for sisters who have died, pray for childless uh, members of your family, um, and remember the souls in purgatory. Now I have I have a couple questions um, that that. Uh, 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 <laughs> that I had to spend an hour on the phone with the Rabbi Lazowski, uh, my new rabbi. So these are going to be pretty obscure. You want to play the obscure music? It's the night dance from, Ro I think it's the ballet Romeo and Juliet by Prokofiev. Pretty sinister sounding, but really, I've meant it sound obscure. I got a question from Dan. Why did the law prescribe a sin offering be made after having a child? Was it just assumed the mother would 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 uh, have said something untoward while delivering the child? I recall there was a guy who took out a local paper to attack Catholic, took out ads in the local paper to attack Catholicism and its teaching, and he used the aforementioned prescription of the law as proof that the Blessed Virgin Mary was not without sin. By extension of that reasoning, we should then say that Jesus surely was a sinner because he was baptized by John. And, of course, he wasn't. Dan, that's exactly the point. Um, the the idea of, of the sin offering, uh, that, that uh, the offerings of the law, sin offerings of the law, atoned uh, only for involuntary or unknowing violations of the sacrificial law. If I knowingly sinned, there was no sacrifice that could forgive it. The sacrifices did not forgive sin in our sense. They they put you back in good standing after an involuntary or unknowing violation of the ritual law. That's why St. Peter says in the Acts of the Apostles, we, these, these offerings... Uh, we couldn't bear them, neither could our ancestors. And in the letter of the Hebrews, it talks about these things don't take away sin. That's because they weren't meant to. They were meant to to make reparation for something involuntary. Uh, and the word chatat means, uh, there would be a, a korban chatat. Chatat chet is a sin. It means to miss the mark, exactly as the word hamarti in Greek. It, it means to be mistaken. It means to fail. And the Hebrews believed that blood was very sacred. And because childbirth involved much shedding of blood, it needed, a, let's not call it a sin offering, it needed a mistake offering. It, it, it talked about 
the the error of human life. Now, the Blessed Mother would not have had to offer that in a moral way, but her beloved son was like us in all things but sin. And I always say that in her Immaculate Conception, I suspect she chose to suffer the way that he did. He chose to suffer. And I suspect that in in loving union with her divine son, she chose to suffer. She didn't have to. But people don't understand that the, the, the two turtle doves that were offered were, were well, what were they? Um, they were, they were, they were an admission of the imperfection of human life. St. Paul says in the letter of the Romans that the creation was subject to futility, not of its own choice, but by the one who suffered it. That the sin offering was an admission of the incompleteness of life in this world. Uh, I think that that probably is the meaning of it. And uh, the scripture says in St. Paul's, um, uh, is it the first letter uh, of, to the Corinthians? He who knew not sin became sin uh, that we might become the very righteousness of God. And and you'll find that in Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I had an explanation for that, which I thought was wonderful, and then somebody told me a better one, <laughs> and I'll tell you the better one. I was, I think, I think it it was much better. The Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews, they would sometimes call a sin offering. They would just call it a sin. I have to go to the temple and offer a sin. So God made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering for us, and so by the same extension, the Blessed Mother, who, who by the grace of God, by the prevenient grace of God, borrowed from Calvary, she also was immaculately conceived and do not sin. But uh, she offered the prescription of the law, as Jesus said to John the Baptist, let us fulfill all that the law requires. Now, just a little more generally about sacrifices, very, very interesting. There were essentially, if I'm, I, I hope I'm correct in this, three kinds of sacrifices. There were the sacrifices of uh, the uh, um, uh, there were the peace offerings, there were the sin offerings, and there were uh, uh, um, gosh, what were the peace offerings, sin offerings? Oh come on, I can't think of the third category. Well, I'll just charge ahead anyway. The same fellow who just asked me about that offering, would you please explain what wave offerings were for? Um, there were there were wave offerings, and then there were heave offerings. What's the difference between a wave offering and a heave offering? Well, a, a wave offering. Oh gosh, what is the? I have to to look it up. What, what it's called the 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 uh, the wave offering in Hebrew is called a tefuna, I believe, uh, and and. This was actually something that was lifted up. It, it was elevated and swung back and forth. And then it was reserved for the personal use of priestly families. And this was a very interesting conversation um, with uh, uh, Rabbi Lazowski today because the wave offering transferred something to a different world. Priests were not ordained. 
Now, again, I, I shared the other day that the word priest is an unfortunate word because it it translates into English and German and Spanish, or not Spanish, well, no, not in Spanish, English, German, French, and Italian. It translates uh, two words in the Hebrew scriptures, sacrificer and elder. I, I'm I'm an ordained elder. I was ordained to the sacrificerhood of Christ in the order of elder. You, in a sense, are ordained to the sacrificerhood of Christ in the order of the baptized. We all are a sacrificial people. We are a, um, a group of, of, of those who offer sacrifice. And order in the church says that the presbyters, the elders, will, will um, uh, preside at the liturgy uh, and better than an elder, a bishop. So I'm going to use this priest-elder and priest-sacrificer. Two different words in Greek. They come into English as the same word. That said, a priest sacrificer was not ordained in, in Israel because you were a priest sacrificer if your father was. It was a hereditary position. But you were inaugurated into your ministry. And when you were inaugurated, you were actually physically lifted up from the ground and waved before the Lord. When something was waved, lifted up and waved before the Lord... It was transferred into a different dimension. That's fascinating. That's the implication of uh, um, of, of, of pre-sacrificerhood. We live in a different dimension. And there were certain things that when they were waved before the Lord, they were given over to the use of the pre-sacrificer and his family because they were living in the dimension, a sacred dimension. And when something was given to God, made sacred by a wave offering, by a tefuna, I think it's tefuna, uh, or tenufa, not tefuna, tenufa, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm dyslexic in Hebrew, apparently. Um, tenufa, the, the, that when it was waved before the Lord, it too had been transferred to another world and wasn't for secular use. That's why the priests had to use it. Now, <clears throat> There was also something uh, that was a, a, a tithe. Uh, it was called the the um, the heave offering, and, and, and you'll see that mentioned. What's the difference between a heave and a wave? Well, heave offering uh, was actually a tithe, and um, the 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 this too was given over to God. Uh, um, and thus was uh, um, used by the priests. It had been also transferred into this this higher world, into this into this newer dimension. And so, priests actually uh, would were the only ones who could use it because they lived in this other world. Now, this is I told you this was obscure. What does all this mean? Well, I think it is very pertinent to Monday's reading. Be imitators of God as beloved children. This is that very difficult section from Ephesians 4. Uh, as Christ loved us and handed himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to God for a fragrant aroma. Christ was lifted up on the cross. You follow just as Christ became a wave offering. In other words, he was lifted up. 
I always say you can't understand the New Testament until you know the, the Old. So then it goes on. Immorality, impurity, greed must not be mentioned among you. No obscenity, silly talk, or suggestive talk which is out of place. Now, humor is fine, but this kind of fascination, this morbid fascination with the seamier side of life, that's not acceptable. Why? Because we live in a different dimension. We have been lifted up from the earth in Christ's crucifixion. That's a wave offering. When something is lifted up and waved before the Lord, it then belongs to that dimension, which which is God's. And the tithe, uh, uh, that that also, that heave offering, that tithe, that, that uh, um, also belongs to the Lord. So I don't know if this interests you, but I'm fascinated by it, that we're all, we're, we're a sacrificial people. We're a nation of sacrificers. You know, I'm not using the word priest because, of course, that is a, the word priest is an unfortunate translation, I really believe. Sacrificer is the word, or elder is the better word. So this elder is telling you that he's a sacrificer and you're a sacrificer, uh, and, and, our lives are, have been waved before the Lord. We're lifted up before the Lord because we were lifted up in his cross. He became a wave offering to God when he was lifted up on the cross. This symbolism is very, very important. Well, it's all lovely poetry. No, it means you have to live a better quality life. You are called to live a, a consecrated life because you're a sacrificer. Just like the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron, you are consecrated people. And you can't go about just behaving that you were, you know, just normal folks. You're sacred. You're given to God. You've been lifted up. You've been waved before the Lord. So uh, thanks, Dan, for that question. The heave offering was a tithe that was made sacred by being lifted up. But the wave offering was uh, not a tithe. But it was a lifting up uh, of, uh, of, of uh, something to the Lord. And next time all of you see the blessed sacrament lifted up, understand that this is, this is because Jesus was lifted up on the cross and in him we belong to something more wonderful. I, that was probably pretty obscure, but I, I find it interesting. All right, speaking of interesting, we're going to go to a break, and we will come back with our word of the day and our phone number. Oh, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. I'll get this someday. The Catholic Order of Foresters, the sponsor of our studio line, is hiring today. Several positions available throughout the U.S. Visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forester to learn more about how you can find your vocation with COF, an Illinois Life Insurance Society not licensed in all states. He'd stand up there in the pulpit, horn in his hand. And let that melody take you to the promised land I play one hymn for the ladies, one for the men Then I would turn right around and play them both again when Okay, they all I don't know that I'd use that song for mass, but it's really very nice Okay, well let's go to our word of the day The, the, um 
<laughs> what was that, your voice in my head? Well, you never know these days. Okay, this is uh, this is an interesting word. It's I I think they translate it in so many different places and ways, but I'm pretty sure that this is from the text, which says uh, uh, that um, Christ uh, cleansed his bride, the church, by the bath of water and the word, that he might present to himself a church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, first of all, this idea of the bride, that I see the church as an organization and it's full of guys in little plastic collars who look like they had lemons for breakfast and are distressed by everything, people like me. Uh, but that's not how God sees it. He sees the, the church as a bride, as a wife, as a mother, as a family. And the word I really want to pick on here is without blemish. That's a kind of funny word. Um, it, it, I don't think it quite means what we think it means. Um, it, 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 oh, good grief. Now, of course, I've lost it. it. The word in Greek, I at least know that, is amomos. And it means without, it, 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 it actually can mean a, a fragrant plant from India. It means without a blemish is a momos, but uh, a faultless. It, it also referred, apparently, according to the dictionary I'm looking at, as a fragrant plant of India. Um, the idea that that uh, of being a sweet fragrance to the Lord, this fits in with something St. Paul said on Monday in this reading, just before that. You're a sacrificial offering to God, a fragrant aroma. You know, there's nothing that stinks about you. <laughs> I hope I'm not being crude to say that, but, you know, that that um, sometimes my behavior, my conversation, my uh, my motives, ah, sometimes they stink. And I mean that spiritually, I hope. But we're to be a fragrant aroma. We're supposed to be almost like the amumum plant of India, a fragrant, a fragrant blossom without blemish. That's a lovely thing. So think about it. Uh, are you are you uh, 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 flawless um, or or and without blemish? Well, that's kind of hard to attain. However, to be fragrant before the Lord—that's different. All right, just a thought. Let's go to phone callers. The phone is ringing. Well, hello. Whom do we have now? Jordan from St. Paul. This has been an obscure show, hasn't it, Jordan? Are you going to throw me a softball? Yes, it has, Father. Well, it'll either be a softball or a hardball, depending on what you know about it. Um, okay. So my wife's friend delivered a baby uh, just last night. It was yeah. early, about six months. She's about two and a half pounds Ooh, in well. an incubator. Yeah. Um, so my question is, can or should they seek baptism uh yes there's obviously being so early the potential infant mortality due to how young yes yes but maybe is there like some kind of a health risk due to being so no. fragile and young um no no okay Get distilled okay. water uh and under the nursing supervision uh if you can't get a priest who can do it, I mean, this is a real emergency. And then the child can be baptized conditionally later in a ceremony or 
if the uh, um, if the uh, uh, baptism is clearly valid, they would do the anointings and the, and the prayers. Uh, but yeah, that child is. If that child is in in real okay. danger of death, that child should should. Uh, you can use a drop of water. Three drops of water would be enough. Yeah. And the, and it's got to be. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. So I would. Uh, I was just wondering if you'd that. had any sort of experience with that in terms of whether the hospital doesn't want anybody touching the baby and so on. No, you can do it with rubber gloves on and with distilled for... water. Okay. Talk to talk to the the the, the charge okay. nurse and explain you're Catholic and this is very important to you, and uh, you know, distilled water and rubber gloves, you know, and just touch the water to that baby's forehead. That simple. So that yeah, I would, I would. Thank you. Yeah, I would. I would baptize the baby if there's real danger of death. No doubt about it. All right. All right. Well, gosh. Turns out I gave you a softball. <laughs> well, it, well, it's a it's it's a hard thing to hear, though. I'll be certainly praying for that baby. Yeah, for, for, for sure, the folks. for sure. All right. Well, God bless you, and, and thanks for your concern for it. All right. Whom do we have now? Sherry from Chandler, Arizona. Are you with us? Yes. Oh, I by am. the way, if, just before I, we 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 talk, Sherry, uh, to the last caller, if they will allow a deacon or a priest to come do it, that would be. That would be preferable, but don't waste time. Well, I can get there next week. No, if this child's in danger of death, you baptize that baby. Uh, preferable to have a deacon or priest do it, but uh, a lay person can baptize in emergency. Yes, Sherry, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Um, I have a question. I have a really good friend that's a real strong Catholic that's telling me that the only way that I can make it to heaven is by becoming a Catholic and attending a Catholic church, that that is the only way. Is that true? Well, we Catholics are very strict, but thank God that God isn't quite as strict. <laughs> no, that's, that's yeah. not true. That is not true. Are you a baptized Christian? I am. Well, then, you know, this may. I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but we're, in a certain sense, uh, we have the same baptism. So the way that we look at the church, the the communion of the baptized, to a certain degree, well, now don't 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 punch me through the phone. You're already bad. You're already Catholic <laughs> in that sense. You know that that uh, you know that 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 um, no that that you do the best with what God has given you. The Catholic Catechism says we are bound by the sacraments, but God is not. You know, I always tell people God has this problem. He thinks he's God. Um, <clears throat> now. Were you to reject, you know, were you, if you had a strong conviction and a strong understanding of what Catholicism stood for. And, you know, I went through a stint when I was on my way out of the church. I was involved in, in, in uh, Protestant Pentecostalism. And, uh, oh, there are people trying to push me out of the church and people trying to drag me out of the church. And uh, But I just realized that that, that that whole experience of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, that was part of the early church. And, and, and it continued in the church when it was con calling itself universal. Um, so I had a strong sense that, that God was calling to be Catholic, and I believe it is the the organization founded by Christ through the ministry of the apostles. If you're not there, God is not going to punish you for what he has not given you. Um, okay. uh, uh, you know, yeah, that, I was that, like in tears the other night going, oh, so you're no. telling me that if I don't switch over and become a Catholic and attend the Catholic Church, I'm not going to heaven. And he says, yeah. 
Nonsense, like, nonsense. I have, now, I have a hard time with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, well, you should. Now, if you were, if you had, the, as I was saying, this deep conviction that, nah, I should be a Catholic, and you convince yourself, nah, well, then you might be culpable. But uh, um, it doesn't sound like that's happened to you, especially with Catholics sending you to hell. It's not an attractive quality, is it? But no, 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 There, I think we'll be rather surprised who we meet in heaven and and rather surprised at those whom we don't. So uh, uh, I, I think that uh, uh, I think that uh, you can rest assured that if you are if you are baptized, you will and and, and obeying the Lord, doing your best to follow Jesus. That um, you're trusting Jesus. That uh, I think that you're you're doing fine. So on the other hand, I'd love you to become a Catholic. Are you from an evangelical church? No, I, I go to Cornerstone Christian Church. Um, well, that's evangelical, I think. Yeah, non-denominational. That's sort of charismatic uh, 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 evangelical. I always say evangelicals make the best Catholics. They really do. <laughs> Why so, is that? Well, because they know the scriptures, and we used to be really big on it, but then all of a sudden we so many people have decided <laughs> not to be. But uh, And also we were very evangelistic. We believed in sharing the gospel loudly. I mean, the great, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason that we're the largest denomination to this point. We used to talk about Jesus a lot, and in most places we still do. Um, and, and we should. So we were very evangelical. We were also considered in 1950, the world's largest fundamentalist church, because we actually believed in the five fundamentals of that movement. Um, so uh, evangelicals, uh, I find really when they understand Catholicism, uh, I have a friend who was raised as a cradle Catholic and he left. Uh, and I think he actually became an Assembly of God minister. And then when he came back to the Catholic Church and found we had seven more books of the Bible and then Protestants, he was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> so things like that. You know, the, 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 the gifts, uh, we have this 2,000-year collection of neat stuff, and uh, it, it is a, a, there's a great richness to it. But on the other hand, I, I mean, I have such a debt to people who are were not Catholic, who inspired me by the beauty of the way they followed Christ. You know, I would say, we Catholics, we have all these swell things, and we don't take them seriously. And uh, I've met a lot of Protestants who are better Catholics than, than some Catholics. So, um, right. yeah, I, 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 you know, trust Jesus, and you're baptized, and and he'll, he'll lead you where you need to be. All right? God bless you. Thank ya. you so much. God bless you. All right. You. You know, you know, that thing outside the church, there's no salvation. Extra ecclesiam nulla salus. That also means beyond the church, there's no salvation or without the church. There's no salvation. You know, people who who find salvation in the Bible. Well, we Catholics provided the Bible. We copied it year after year. And. You know, this this idea that unless you're in my club, you can't go to heaven. I don't think that's true unless, you know, I, I have a feeling that when I stand before the Lord, when a person who didn't know the church stands before the Lord, the Lord will say, by the way, I'd like you to meet my wife. <laughs> uh, but but uh, we, can, we, we so enjoy excluding people, and that's not the Lord. All right, who do we have now, dear voice in my head? John Michael, what can I do for you? Father, blessings on you. The way you handled that call was immaculate. Yeah, kindness and understanding just overflowing. Very grateful well, for this chance to chat with you. I just wanted to ask you real quickly about idolatry and how not to fall into that. I'm pretty infatuated oh. with a Sicilian Catholic woman up in Columbus, Ohio. We're doing a long-distance relationship. And I also want to know when it comes to 
your vocation and if you have a spouse, is your spouse the means by which you encounter Christ? Because oh, yes, to me, I yes. struggle with that utilitarian attitude of not using someone just to encounter Christ. Well, no, you you, you encounter end, Christ in, in you encounter Christ in her by genuinely encountering her. I mean, you know, you're not using you don't use her as sort of a a stepping stone to, to holiness. But on the other hand, you and she, one of your great responsibilities is to inspire each other to prayer and to the Christian mm. life. That's that's your job, to get her to heaven, and her job will be to get you to heaven, and together your job will be to get whatever children God may give you to heaven. So so in that sense, yeah, it's it's essential uh, uh, in marriage that you look at one another as a vehicle for the conversion, Now, uh, for mm. one another's conversion. Now, another thing, you are going to find your wife much much easier to not worship after you've been married for a while and realize that she likes the room warm and you like it cold and you like this toothpaste, she likes that. You will, you will begin to find that, well, guess what? And when you get disappointed by the fact that your wife is not the perfect person and saint that you thought, understand that God is rescuing you from idolatry. To expect from a human being what you can only get from God, that's idolatry. To get, to expect from a human being or a thing what you can only get from God is idolatry. And when, you know, it invariably happens in marriage that you begin to realize in a mature marriage that she's not perfect, he's not perfect. No, but he's a great gift and Mm -hmm. she's a great gift. Um, there's an adjustment of that. So the hormones wear off, and uh, the hormones are just a, uh, a bait and switch on the part of the Lord. <laughs> but uh, after they wear off, then love happens, real love, you know, sacrificial love. But, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it, um, but just understand that, that you need to see your responsibility to inspire her to love Christ and her responsibility is to inspire you to love Christ. And when she's not doing such a good job, you do a better job. And when you're not doing such a good job, she'll do a better job. Does that help? Absolutely. Thank you, Father. Really well, God bless. It. God bless. And uh, say, say that again to your voice in my head. Oh, enjoy the Italian part. My the voice in my head is half Sicilian. <laughs> my, uh, oh, good luck with <laughs> enjoy that. Enjoy the Italian what? <laughs> enjoy the Italianness of it. The voice in my head is Sicilian, oh, so okay. uh, half Sicilian. <laughs> so so. Uh, oh, you. them Italians—they got good food. Let me tell you. All right, God bless you. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> All Thank right, you. who do we have now? Your voice in my head. Elaine, we got less than a minute. What can I do for you? What a pleasure to get through to you, Father Simon. Oh, dear. Um, you helped me, I, I would say you helped me get back into my religion. Oh, I'm honored. Um, yes, I want to ask you something. I, I had um, enrolled in a Bible class that turned out to be uh, an introduction to the Bible, however. Mm-hmm. So we really not, we never really got into the Bible it's very interesting, but I missed one session, and a lady who was in my class approached Ooh. me and said, "Did you know that we are not?" Oh, we got it. Oh, we're, we got. Can you call me back or send me a note, and I'll answer it. Oh.